Today's global consumer is very clear in their demand for safe, affordable, and sustainable protein. To continue to meet these rising expectations requires both leadership and collaboration with food chain stakeholders, academia, and the veterinary community. Merck Animal Health is pleased to amplify the voices of leaders throughout the protein supply chain here on this podcast, caring for animals and creating trust. So pleased that you're joining us for this episode of Caring for Animals and Creating Trust. My name is Tim Hamrich, and I'm your guide as we explore the leadership that's taking place throughout animal agriculture. Today's episode explores the important connection between caring for animals and building strong communities. We're talking about animal welfare and shelter health. When you hear the term animal shelter, you probably already have an idea in mind of what that means. This episode may inspire you to broaden that view in ways that bring more value to both animals and local communities. We have on the show Dr. Jothi Robertson, who's a board-certified veterinarian in shelter medicine. She works for ADISA, which does leadership development, professional development, and strategic planning and design for organizations involved in animal welfare and volunteerism. Jothi is also the chair of the Animal Welfare Committee for the American Veterinary Medical Association, the AVMA. She's been consulting in shelter medicine, which is a relatively new field in veterinary medicine since 2010. Also joining us is Dr. Angela Basinger, who's the lead for animal welfare on the veterinary and consumer affairs team at Merck Animal Health. Angela works with veterinarians that do technical service work with animal shelters and interacts often with shelter programs, helping with things like training and problem solving. She has a background in animal welfare and is currently pursuing board certification in the field through the American College of Animal Welfare. To get things started, Jothi sets the scene for what we mean when we talk about reimagining shelter health. In the past, uh, there was companion animal space, you know, where veterinarians are working with small animals, dogs, cats, and then the large animal space and wildlife and so on. What became pretty clear is that animals in shelter settings really have different diseases, different inherent problems. There's a whole different system around them that the companion animal space really wasn't addressing. And Tim, I think you'd appreciate there's a herd health approach to shelter medicine in that we have large numbers of dogs and cats housed together in very stressful situations. And so what does it look like to think about disease differently, think about movement of animals into homes, the actual facility itself? You know, like what does it mean to house these particular animals in these ways? And, and that was the, the form of thinking and the, the very first resident was Dr. Hurley in 2001. And so it's a very new field. And um, I've had the pleasure of being a part of this field really uh, since 2007 when I started my residency, sort of in that early stages of shelter medicine. Rethinking what a shelter can be starts with considering why animals end up in shelters in the first place. Jothi and Angela talk about two important factors here, access to veterinary care and spay and neuter. If you think of shelter medicine as including the communities and that pets are being relinquished by people to shelters, so where do the animals come from? So let's take it a step back. The animals that enter shelters are entering because they're perhaps stray or their owner surrender. And so the two topics that come up over and over are access to veterinary care and spay and neuter for whether it be community cats or feral cats 
for example, in, in the spay-neuter realm. Now, this access to veterinary care is really pivotal at this moment, especially now when we view it in light of equity, right? So who are the people who are unable to access veterinary care and what are their reasons? Is it transport? Is it cost? Is it a physical access, meaning we just don't have enough veterinarians in the area to be able to provide those services? So that's where shelter medicine really relies on organizations like Merck and other organizations to help build that next generation of medical professionals to be able to expand, you know, whether it be telemedicine, telehealth, be able to provide uh, rural veterinarians with the same types of technologies or medications as you would in an urban society or urban area. So the shift really is thinking about what does it mean to be able to provide and keep pets in homes and what is preventing people from keeping pets in homes? Yeah, access to veterinary care goes all the way from being able to do vaccinations to spays and neuters to reacting to physical injury to the animal if it occurs. And like Jyothi was saying, it's so important to understand what is keeping people from, you know, making those animals a forever family member, keeping them in the home? There are some fabulous programs that have really been coming to the forefront more and more. And, and some of them have been there for years and years. But really, during this COVID period, again, with that shift, there's more conversations happening. For example, there's weekly national calls that had never occurred before where all these groups are coming together and really discussing them, where we have, you know, pets for life, align care, you know, care, like I mentioned, Haas, others like that who are all coming together and not only sharing thoughts, but also sharing protocols and processes. And, you know, how do we actually make this happen? It's easy to talk about, but but what are the constructs that will allow for society to be able to expand care and even homes for adoptive owners? And, you know, I think that's important. There's, you know, a 20%, according to CARE, again, that's James Evans and Jen Evans organization, there is a 20% gap in adoptions between white Americans and African Americans. And, you know, that is a large gap. And if you think about it, if three in five white Americans has a pet in their home and only 1.3 in five African-Americans has a pet in home, what would it look like to increase that? And how could it impact the number of homeless animals, right? Simply by increasing it by just a few percentage points, you could increase the number of animals saved by, you know, well over a million. And so you know, there's ways to think about that form of inclusion that has been coming out in conversations, you know, with these organizations, which again, one year ago, perhaps there were others that were talking about it, but it was not in the spotlight like it is today. So what you're saying or what I'm hearing is that we need to come up with programs that might fit specific communities, specific people within communities to give them better access, to give, to help maybe do outreach or training in being able to adopt these animals 
so they understand what's expected of them and, you know, how to bring home a new pet. You know, especially since some of these shelter pets may be in shelters for reasons like behavior. So how do we get people to understand how to work with that pet to make both their lives happy? (laughs) It's becoming more and more clear and apparent that there is as much a role for going into the community and really seeing it at the community right there, right? And seeing, well, what are the resources that are necessary? You know, what can we do to really shift and think about, you know, who is the population, you know, and what are their needs and not come in with perhaps a more of a savior mentality, right? When you hear the word rescue, there's nothing wrong with that. And I appreciate everything that rescues do. And I actually work with many. And yet, how can it look like to shift the conversation and think about it in those terms? Now, certainly a lot to dig into there that Jothi and Angela just shared, but I hope this starts to get the wheels turning in your mind about what a shelter can be to better serve both animals and communities overall. You heard Jothi mention that shift that has taken place over the past seven months or so during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, that's part of what is prompting this broader conversation to be elevated about the best ways for shelters to serve the needs of local communities. About seven, eight months ago, there were uh, probably 4,000 to 6,000 shelters, rescues around there in the nation where animals uh, enter the shelter. They may be transferred to other organizations. Some may go to rescues. Some may be adopted. Some may go to foster homes as well, but it's unknown as to, you know, like whether or not fosters played as large a role. Then COVID hit. (laughs) And almost overnight, shelters emptied. Animals were pulled into the community by foster homes. So this idea of keeping pets in homes has really shifted in a new way. So when you say, well, what is the capacity of shelters? Well, the capacity is really, what is the capacity of the community to be able to house animals, right? It's no longer that physical entity or that structure of having 20 kennels or 100 kennels. It's beyond that. How many people are in the community that are potential adopters? And and that's really where Human Animal Support Services, HOS that you refer to, and um, CARE, Companions and Animals for Reform and Equity, come into this conversation for shifting that entire dialogue around what is a shelter and what is the role of a shelter. And I think you really need to emphasize the community part of it because it's still unknown as to whether when we get back to a more normal after COVID, those animals that went into a foster situation, whether they stay there as a forever home or if they might come back to a physical structure that's a shelter. You know, our hope is they stay in that home as a forever home, but we just don't know. And that's part of the challenge that we're looking at that Jothi is in the middle of with her work. I think that that's part of this new framing of what is a shelter. Is a shelter's role simply to house an animal within its confines in the facility and care for it while it's there? Or is the shelter's role to continue to provide services even beyond adoption? 
And that could look like medical care. That could look like behavior training, which is incredibly important because there's so many situations where the vast number of dogs that are relinquished are relinquished for behavior issues. So how could that shift if a shelter was to provide, let's say, three months of ongoing training immediately after adoption and then ongoing periodic check-ins to make sure that if the people have questions that they have someone to turn to, right? So what would it look like to create collaborations and provide those resources? It does mean financially shifting the resources within the organization as well. It would be much like the foster system for children in that the shelter would have an outreach method to go to homes once the pet has been adopted, you know, from the shelter. And the points that Jyothi brought up about behavior, a lot of the behavioral issues that bring dogs and cats initially to the shelter are typically what the new owners may see in their home and they need to know and have some assistance and training on how to modify those behaviors so they don't have to relinquish that pet again because of those behaviors. So to tie a few of these comments uh, together here, during this pandemic, many more animals have been sheltered in homes. This is not only great for the animals to get the care they need, but it's great for the people to develop connections with these animals. This is really bringing to the forefront the conversation about how might this model be built upon for a more equitable shelter system. Now, there's an opportunity to bring an animal into a person's life who may not have been touched by that animal in the past. And what that does is it elevates communities as a whole, right? So if you believe that human-animal bond fundamentally shifts the nature of humanity, right? Because it changes our view of our connection with other beings in society. It teaches us compassion in a new way. Well, then how will it fundamentally shift the underlying nature of society? Yeah, because no matter what the species, you know, whether it's a dog, a cat, a lizard, a hamster, every person that has an animal in their life, there's a connection. I mean, you can even expand that to the livestock that, you know, farmers have connections with their cattle and their pigs and and the connections there, no matter what the species. And it makes that animal's life better, but it also emotionally and mentally fulfills humans. And there have already been programs developed specifically to try to help in these areas. Jothi alluded to a couple earlier in Haas and Care. I asked if she could maybe elaborate on the work each of those two are doing. Haas and Care really stand out to me as two great examples, and there are others. So I don't want to just point to only those two. There are most definitely others, but they are two organizations that are specifically combining Um, shelters from throughout the country, and uh, I think over 160 organizations or something like that are involved in this Haas movement, and looking at how can uh, we go into communities and understand what the needs are and have more people of color, for example, really being the ones who are speaking to this. And so when we shift our own underlying 
thinking around what makes a good home, that's where we can go into community. So Haas has a pilot program with pilot shelters. There's tiered shelters and tiered programs where all the shelters are coming together and working with social service agencies. So they're looking at it from a One Health model, working with social workers, social services, really thinking about it in the context of the community. And that's just one example where then the idea is to capture data from that research, capture protocols, ideas, and really having them working together. And underlying Haas is this DEI committee where everything that's produced is viewed from the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think that if we don't do that, that's where we will fail. If, if we don't take it from the angle that CARE is taking it from or align CARE, that's Dr. Blackwell's work and Pets for Life you know, from HSUS, if we don't view it from the people, we will lose entire segments of the population and not be able to save as many animals. Right? It'll translate to the welfare of the animals pretty directly, I think. And the, the example she gave of One Health, kind of the thought process behind One Health is the health and well-being of the people is directly connected to the health and well-being of the animals. So you've got to measure and balance both for a healthy community. So we've discussed rethinking the model for shelter health and the shift that has taken place during 2020 and the initiatives to create a more inclusive and ultimately more equitable environment. What gives Jothi and Angela hope that these recent advancements will create more permanent and lasting change? I think that a few things is people realize the importance of community by seeing the shelters empty with foster homes. And so that impact of fosters has very clear, I think, in everyone's mind, and definitely the need for more diversity and inclusion. I can't imagine any shelter that's been engaged in conversations these past seven months not looking at their staffing, not looking at their adoption protocols or their intake protocols and and really thinking about it. I think that shelters are at different stages of being able to actually work with these changes. Some may not, for example, have foster coordinators yet that are full-time staff. So what would it look like to shift resources there? And some may not be at a place where they really are revising their protocols based on what they're seeing related to diversity. But it has entered most organizations' awareness. And I've been talking to a number of local shelters, and they're talking about the same type of topics that Jothi's been expressing. And I just think the positive that's going to come out of this is the fact that they are discussing the structure, you know, of moving into the community and managing more from a community standpoint, but also the diversity question, the diversity issue is coming up everywhere. It's part of our culture now to need to examine all different directions from that diversity standpoint. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just amazed at how quickly that has occurred during this COVID situation. 
I'd like to point out one other situation around access to care that I haven't mentioned yet. And it's that there are organizations, Open Door is probably the the one that I know of the best and that uh, Amy St. Arnaud has done a phenomenal job with Open Door and others in that organization, really looking at access to veterinary care in a different way. Like, is it feasible to have a for-profit model for access to veterinary care? What does incremental care mean? And incremental care, I think, is really, really important for veterinary medicine and for veterinary schools to recognize that the importance of teaching it speaks to equity and DEI, right? So incremental care, Tim, if you're not familiar with the terminology, is this idea of providing care in an incremental fashion so that you don't necessarily, you know, a cat may come in, let's say, with an upper respiratory infection. And maybe rather than taking chest rads and running full blood work and doing a PCR panel, respiratory panel, perhaps I would start with doxycycline first, you know, or I would start with finding out more of the stressors. So that's what shelter medicine, you know, practitioners often have to do because we don't have perhaps the luxury of doing full panels and everything else. And it also speaks to a, a form of veterinary medicine, which isn't being currently taught in veterinary schools. And for that reason, when students come out into practice, there's a feeling that they are not providing the best level of care. And yet the best level of care cannot necessarily be afforded by everyone. So what would it look like to shift that? So Open Door and Align Care are two organizations that I can speak to that are really looking at this. Dr. Blackwell and Amy St. Arnaud are, are two individuals that have been really speaking around these conversations, and I imagine we will be hearing a lot more about their work in the future. Some really important work being done there by Open Door and, of course, Haas, Care, and others that were mentioned earlier. I wondered, though, how can Merck and others in the industry continue to show leadership in this area of creating a more inclusive environment for everyone to care for and connect with these animals? I think... Some of the things we do now and some of the things that we can do in the future is work closely with those shelters and with the shelter veterinarians as they identify the gaps between the community and what they have to provide to be there to help fill that gap with either training. A lot of times we provide a lot of free vaccine to help enhance what can be done within the community. And I, I just think it's the opportunity to, if, I, if I'm a veterinarian with for Merck going into a shelter situation, working with somebody like Jyothi, I'd want to know what type of things we can provide to help enhance what she's doing. Can we provide materials? Can we provide training? Can we provide additional support in veterinarians on feet on the ground or interns or provide some sort of scholarships or something to veterinarians that we can get to come and do specific times in shelters to figure out what's needed. You know, I, I think that there's a place for industry really to step up in this conversation and take that forward-facing role 
not only being able to help communities, but in the diversity, equity, inclusion conversation. And when we're talking about sheltering, we're talking about nonprofit organizations, primarily municipal government agencies that really don't have the funds to be able to do all these things that we're outlining and asking them to do. You know, go out into the communities and help find homes, continue the behavior training, continue the medical training, create low cost clinics, do spay neuter. You know, we're putting that on to, again, nonprofits, municipal, government agencies. So where can industry step up and take a role in a way that they haven't taken a role before? Right. So what would it look like for them to reframe? who they are in this space. I would agree. And and I think in the short period of time that I've been in the role doing animal welfare, you know, for Merck, we're looking at different avenues to try to reach out to shelters, but also to different groups to show that diversity is something that we're focusing on. One of those, it's on the food animal side, is we work closely with a group called Manners. And Manners is a group that promotes, educates, tries to bring people of color into an agricultural field and really help, you know, support and bring them to a career that they'll love. And then I know one of our veterinarians works very closely with some Native American communities uh, going in and doing work within those communities around their pets and going into the schools and trying to help them understand what it means to you know, care for the animals and provide animal welfare. There's just so much that we want to do and, and working with people like Jothi, getting new ideas of how we can work into communities to bring forward a fuller, richer community. Well, thanks so much to both Dr. Jothi Robertson and Dr. Angela Basinger for this engaging conversation here today. I hope you're leaving with a new paradigm of what a shelter is and what it can be as a result of this episode. I know I am. We appreciate you tuning in for caring for animals and creating trust. Make sure that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. You should be able to find us on all of them, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. We'll be back very soon with more examples of leadership in animal agriculture. 